You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1107 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday, and today's podcast is brought to you by the folks at rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Today's podcast will break down what became a 118-111 to win for the Hawks at home over the Washington Wizards. A relatively comfortable win in a lot of ways. The Hawks did trail early on, but then opened it up and led for the vast majority of this contest, including by double digits, for a good while in this game. And uh, plenty to get to on this one, but overall a nice effort offensively in particular for the Hawks. And uh, as always, we'll dive into this game in terms of what happened before it, what happened during it, and then some takeaways and some player breakdowns at the end of the podcast. Coming into the game, the Hawks were, of course, coming off a pretty ugly one on Saturday in which their offense was kind of broken in a lot of ways, you know, fundamentally in that in that contest. Um, if you missed it on the podcast, I talked about that extensively late into the evening on Saturday night, and always I would plug the podcast and tell you to, to subscribe to the show. But um, beyond that, the Hawks were 2-0 at home coming into the night, and although they lost the last two games on the road, um, and of course lost to the same Wizards team by 11 points on Thursday, only you know three or four days ago at this point. So the injury report was clean uh, initially for the Hawks, other than Aneke Kongwu, who remains out until December or January. But then there was actually a, a pregame storyline that was a little bit interesting in that Kevin Herter was on the inactive list, unannounced. Uh, was never added to an injury report that I saw. Um, the Hawks have to designate an inactive player before the game started, or else no one would have even known this. But um, as I said on the last couple of podcasts, it was Sharif Cooper that was inactive the last couple of games. And then when they released the inactive list, it was featuring Kevin Herter. So the questions then began. Um, the first thing that I was told was it was not an injury for Kevin Herter, which is obviously a positive thing. But in that moment, I'm not going to speculate on what's going to happen with Herter and why he wasn't playing because it's definitely bizarre. Like, obviously, you're not going to make him inactive for, you know, basketball reasons in terms of if he's just healthy and good to go. Um, and of course, Herter did have the ankle procedure in the offseason. He did not begin running until training camp and was not a full participant until later on in training camp. So kind of a weird season. And to be fair, it has to be mentioned, he's not been good so far this season. So lots of questions being asked of me. And then uh, after the game, we got a little bit more clarity. I want to play that for you now, and then we'll kind of move on from it. But uh, Nate McMillan was actually asked this again. This is a post-game after the win about uh, Herter's inactive uh, listing. And this uh, question is from Chris Kirshner, and you'll hear Nate McMillan answer it. I also wanted to ask about Kevin. He was a healthy scratch tonight. Can you just explain? It was just rest. Yeah, just rest. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we'll, with the schedule that we have uh, coming up, we're going to have to do that with some of our guys uh, just because this is, you know, we're playing every other day. And, um, you know, so it was, it was nothing but rest. He, he should be ready to go next game. So that's the on-the-record explanation for now on Herter. We'll see how he's listed for Wednesday's game in Brooklyn. I have to say it's a little bit weird for sure. You know, people kind of responded after I tweeted out what Nate had said about this. And, yes, it's a little bit strange. Uh, it's early in the season. It's not a back-to-back. Herter's a young guy. Um, so certainly it's a little bit odd to have an unannounced 
Um, you know, a lot of times guys who are out for rest are listed that way ahead of the game and announced that way on injury report, and it wasn't this way. So I don't have a conspiracy theory for you, but it certainly is a little bit strange, if nothing else. And we'll see how he responds to this, see how he's back in line on Wednesday. But he's not played well, and uh, we'll see how this all breaks down. But in this game, the Hawks were playing without him. They were shorthanded in the backcourt. It didn't matter, of course, but we'll get into all of the ways that the rotation changed, etc. on the podcast. Last thing before the game. Um, was that the Wizards were closer to full strength than they were the last time when the Hawks played them on Thursday. They had Daniel Gafford back. They had Spencer, Spencer Dinwiddie back in this game. didn't matter because the Hawks were the better team in this spot, but um, the Wizards were relatively full strength as they came into Atlanta. And again, as a top-line thought, the offense was very, very good in this game. They had seven guys in double figures. They had a season-high free-throw attempts. They took care of the ball. Um, offensive rebound was a strength in this game. It was basically just a complete offensive effort all the way across for the Hawks. A balanced game. No one was like, you know, individually completely brilliant, but a lot of good efforts, a lot of good performances from this Hawks team individually. And then defensively, it wasn't incredible. It was enough. They made enough plays. They made enough um, plays, particularly in the second half of this contest, to get the win. So definitely an offense first win in a lot of ways. But given the way the Hawks have played on offense coming into the night, that was a welcome sign. And we'll, of course, get into the specifics in a moment. Before we do that, though, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Prize Picks. Attention, NBA fanatics, I have to tell you about Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will too. PrizePix has the best NBA DFS prop game on the market, and it offers more NBA props than any other DFS prop operator and offers all the superstar players as well as all the bench players, that only, even if they only record a handful of minutes each and every game. PrizePix offers any prop you can think of. In football, it's yardage to touchdowns, even interceptions thrown. In basketball, it's points, it's assists, it's rebounds, and much, much more. And every user that deposits and uses the promo code that we have here will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. And that promo code is NBA. One more time, that promo code is NBA. You pick two to five players and an overrunner on their projections. You can win up to 10 times on any entry. It's just you against the projected numbers. Prize Picks allows mixed sports entries. You can take the over on LeBron combined with the under on Mahomes in the same entry. And that goes for Trey Young as well. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made 60 seconds or less. It's just that easy. Yes, you can do all of this in under 60 seconds. PrizePix is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepix.com and use the promo code NBA or go to the App Store right now and download the app today. PrizePix is daily fantasy made easy. Okay, we'll dive into the game flow in this one. And honestly, there was some foreboding stuff at the beginning of this game. Of course, it didn't matter and it cleared up from there. But the Hawks did miss their first five shots carrying over from Saturday night's misery on offense. Um, the Wizards led 8-2 to two out of the gate, but that was kind of it for Washington's having, you know, that was actually their largest lead of the night at 8-2. to two. Um, The Hawks, though, got settled in, a couple of nice passes and reads from John Collins. That's one of the stories of the night for me. Um, more of a subtle thing, but Collins' passing played up. His playmaking has been much better this year. He has a career-high assist rate going on this season and actually tied a career-high in assists with six in this contest. It was kind of early and often. Three nice passes to Capella in short order from Collins. Had a nice block on Daniel Gafford as well. Hawks had a 7-0 run pretty quickly after that, took their first lead. There was some foul trouble with DeAndre Hunter getting two fouls early on. One of them was uh, he got beat back door by Bradley Beal. and they went to Reddish right away from there, but he actually got beat by the same cut almost by Beal moments later. But the big break-it-open move from the Hawks in this game was a 12-0 run late in the first quarter, engineered heavily by Bogdanovich and Gallinari. Bogey scored, then fouled Gallo in the corner for a three, and then after a timeout, almost the exact same play with another pass to a corner three from Gallinari, and then Trey Young scored four points in a row to cap that run. So, you know, 12 unanswered to go up by 11, and, uh, you know, the rotation kind of settled in from there. Um, it was normal in terms of rotation stuff for the Hawks, other than 
clearly they had to replace Herter, which was basically opening the door, as I speculated on Twitter before the game started, to just kind of play both DeLon Wright and Lou Williams. Those guys do fit well together. They are the same position in a lot of ways at the one. But Lou's played a lot of two in his career. DeLon Wright is shooting guard size, so those guys actually played well together overall in terms of the fit. Um, to be honest, the backup units did not, did not go well in this game, but at least on paper, you could see why that would be the case with those guys playing together. Um, and then they, up, they were actually up by 11 points at the end of the first quarter. A lot of positives from there, and the shot profile in particular in the first half, but they got to the line 10 times. They had eight assists in the first quarter. They had eight shots on the rim, eight shots from three, and only four from mid-range. That's a sharp difference from Saturday night. And then defensively, they were pretty decent in the first quarter. It was kind of worse from that, worse than that from there, but lots of positive signs as they led by 11 at the end of the opening period. The worst quarter of the night for the Hawks was the second in this game, particularly defensively. Um, the bench unit really, really um, scuffled at times. There was a 10-3 run by the bench allowed early in the second quarter. Not the only time that happened in this game. Uh, they brought Capella back as the first starter. Then Gallinari hit another three. Actually, hit three threes in the first seven minutes that he played in this contest. But Collins' passing kept, kept playing up. Um, Trey got a foul call on Kyle Kuzma in which he just basically had him in the blender um, on the perimeter. That was a, a, fun to, a fun thing to watch from Trey kind of getting in, uh, in his, cooking, his cooking situations offensively. But he got to the line six times in the first 18, 18 minutes of the game, including six times in his first 13 minutes of playing time. And the team at that point was 16 for 16. So that's a ton of volume from the Hawks. It did slow down from the line, which we'll get into, but uh, a nice start there to kind of uh, go against type and against narrative to this point in time. But the Wizards did score well late in the half. Um, the Hawks only up by three points as a result of that. Bradley Beal scored on four of five possessions with about three minutes to go to get Washington back within three. He was pretty much in check until then, but he got loose with some extra space and ended up making a bunch of like sort of mid-rangers. Not terrible shots, not great shots either. Kind of just got hot as he is wont to do. He was one of the best scorers in the league. The Hawks did, I think, have their best offensive half of the entire season in the first half of this game. 63 points on one thing. Almost 1.3 points per possession for the Hawks. 50% from the floor, 44% from three. They only had 10 mid-range attempts and 10 shots at the rim. That's not a ton of shots at the rim, but when you have 16 threes, six corner threes, and 20 free throws, it's okay. So the Hawks got to the line uh, 29 times in this game. 20 of those in the first half, and honestly, the second half was kind of not a lot of free throws until garbage time, but the first half was 20 for 20. You can't fake that. It's a ton of ton of volume, ton of accuracy, of course. Took care of the ball as well. Bogey was really good in the first half. Gallup three threes. And it was just a very complete offensive effort before halftime. The Wizards, though, got loose in the second quarter. 68% from the floor from Washington in the second period, including five threes. They had 15 assists. They had some good shot making, too. But the Hawks were not great defensively, I didn't think. Um, and then the game kind of broke open for the Hawks to start the third quarter. So it was not over at this point in time. But the Hawks put together a 12-0 run to open the third quarter with Collins with another assist. Um, some strong creation stuff from him. Trey had this awesome left-handed pass to Capella for a dunk, and then back-to-back threes by Trey Young on a deep catch-and-shoot, which is not always what he's doing. That's a good shot for him, though. And then Bogdanovich, it's a three to go up by 15. The Wizards didn't score after their scalding hot second quarter. They didn't score until the 7-20 mark of the third quarter. So uh, definitely a hiccup there for Washington. The Hawks took full advantage of it. And from that point forward, the game was relatively in hand. The Wizards never led. They got actually closer to, like, I think, five the rest of the way. The Hawks did lead by 17 in the third. Rotationally, it was the same thing. I will point out, though, that the full bench unit was torched in both halves of this contest. Um, DeLon Wright was minus 12. Lou Williams was minus 8. Those guys were really only on the court when it was the full bench unit. So, uh, not good stuff. couple of runs 
put together by the Wizards against that full bench unit. Um, my thoughts on that are well documented. I do not love the full bench unit, particularly um, for long stretches. I don't want to see the need for it, but the Hawks are doing it. It worked, I guess, in this game that the Stars were so good. But I wanted to at least note that if there was one bit of uh, rotational weirdness for me, it was that the, sec- the second unit got just absolutely hosed in this game. Uh, the Hawks then actually went cold late in the third, and Washington sort of missed their opportunity. So if there was one chance for them, it was then. The Hawks only scored 21 points in the third quarter, including four points in the five in the sorry in the final 5:25 of the third period. The offense went silent, but Washington was six of 21 from the floor and one of eight from three in the third quarter, and only scored 17 points. So I'm not sure. How much of that 17 points can be attributed to the Hawks' defense being better? I think it was better, but Washington also kind of just cooled off at that point in time, and that was actually very fortunate for the Hawks as they had their one offensive pickup in this game. And then the fourth, um, it was kind of back and forth with the Hawks in that you know 8-10 to 10 point lead range for most of the first portion of the fourth quarter. Um, Gallo hit a three in the first possession after a nice, actually a nice pass by Cam, by Cam Reddish. Not always the best passer, but a good look there from Cam. Uh, a nice drive and finish by DeLon Wright. The Stars came back in. They actually went to Capella, Hunter, and Collins um, for a little bit of that. Um, and then they actually closed with Cam Reddish at the three, along with Hunter at the four and Collins at the five. Uh, I didn't mind that at all. I, I don't think Capella was great in this game. He was okay. He definitely played better here than he has at times early on the season. But I didn't mind them closing small against what the Wizards were doing. They were playing fairly small at times. You know, Montrez Harrell is a center, but certainly is not a you know physical presence like a seven-footer. He's more of that, you know, he's Collins size, basically. Probably a little bit bulkier than Collins, but not a huge um, you know physical presence, again, with, in terms of height. So I was okay closing small. I kind of like that overall. It hurts the defense, obviously, without Capella out there. But with Reddish and Hunter to throw up Bradley Beal, that was probably effective and ended up working out pretty well down the stretch. Um, the biggest run, and what put the, put the game away, actually, was a 9-0 run to go up 110-94. to That basically ended the game. Collins had this awesome offensive rebound with about six minutes to go that led to a bucket. Then he drew a charge. Then Hunter scored over Kuzma to force a timeout to go up by 11. And then after the timeout, Bogey hit a three, and then Collins finished a bucket on the next two possessions. So kind of a, kind of a uh, you know, I don't know, a zoom, a zoom of a run to go up by 16 points. And... It honestly should have been more comfortable than it was from that point forward. There was a bizarre kicked ball violation on Trey with three minutes to go. He tried to let sort of run some clock, and the ball went off his foot in a bizarre, strange way. It didn't bite them, but that was a, a weird play. And then the lead was down to like you know eight and then seven in the final minute or so. It never got lower than that because of the good free throw shooting that the Hawks were able to put together. But they didn't execute particularly well, I'll say that, in the last two minutes of this game. The Hawks were not their their most crisp selves, but it was largely over at that point, so it's kind of explainable. But at least if you're looking at the full game numbers, they don't look quite as impressive as the numbers did until like three minutes ago, and that's part of the reason why. At any rate, though, a nice complete effort from the Hawks, and we'll talk about all the takeaways in a second, as well as some individual breakdowns and insight from this contest. But before we do all of that, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Shopify. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big businesses so that upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Believe me, this podcast started out at a pretty low level. Now it's at a much higher level, and we're not going to stop there because success is a million milestones on a forever involving path. Like mine, Shopify powers over 1.7 businesses from first scale to full scale. 
reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and much more. Gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of your conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Connect with your customers, drive sales, manage your day-to-day, and Shopify also instantly lets you accept all major payment methods. Shopify has thousands of integrations with third-party apps from on-demand printing to accounting to advanced chatbots to and beyond. Supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success, and do it all in one place. Go to shopify.com slash lockedonmba, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash lockedonmba right now. That's shopify.com slash lockedonmba. BetOnline is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and much more in terms of props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the basketball football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. For basketball, football, baseball, postseason stuff, NHL, boxing, UFC, tennis, golf, favorite casino games, and much, much more. Do not wait to take advantage of any of the amazing offers available to you this season because everything that you could want and much, much more is at betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, and as I said at the top of the podcast, the offense was the story of this game. A 121 offensive rating for the Hawks in this spot, and it was even better than that early on. Um, and sort of the you know the non-garbage time stuff was even more favorable in some respects, but very, very thoroughly positive effort. Uh, seven guys, double figures, as, as I mentioned earlier. Um, didn't shoot it, like, unbelievably well from the floor. 46% from the floor, 38% from three. Those are just solid numbers, not crazy, but 29 of 29 from the free throw line. 20 of those were early. That's definitely worth pointing out, but they got to the line and made a bunch down the stretch to put the game away. Um, other stuff on the, on the periphery, 13 offensive rebounds and 11 turnovers is a good ratio. Anytime you have more offensive boards than turnovers, that's a, a good way to boost your offensive productivity, just getting more shots to the rim. They had 42 points in the paint, which is like a pretty average figure, but when you compare that with 21, sorry, with 29 free throw attempts and 29 makes, it's a lot easier to deal with that. So overall shot profile stuff, it wasn't like completely optimal, especially in the second half. It was actually kind of a regression in that, in that respect. They ended up with 29 non-paint twos. If you heard the podcast on Saturday, you will hear me rant about the Hawks taking more than 50 non-paint twos. And honestly, it was stark to me both during, uh, sorry, both after this game, also in the shoot-around um, practice availability, the stories that um, Sarah Spencer wrote at, at, at the ADAC and Josh and Sarah. Um, it seems like everyone kind of acknowledged both on the record and everything else, even after the game, Trey Young, Nate McMillan, etc., that the shot profile was not what they wanted uh, on Saturday. And it wasn't quite as as clean, you know, it wasn't exactly like I was ranting about it, but they definitely addressed it in terms of what they did in this game, pushing toward the rim. You know, Trey talked about shooting more threes. Nate talked about attacking the rim. And that's what you want to do. You know, every coach says that. It's been a theme for this Hawks team dating back to the previous regime. You know, paint to great was always what the uh, description was then, but you want to take shots at the rim and take threes in the modern NBA. That makes a lot of sense. And it does help to be sure to be able to shoot mid-rangers. But the Hawks, you know, the balance was just way off on Saturday. It was much better in this game. Um, they took 20 shots at the rim. That's not a ton, but again, when you factor in the free throw attempts, 
it was a lot more palatable, and 33 three-point attempts is plenty. That's fine. It's not, like, crazy. You know, the Wizards took um, 39. They actually took more than the Hawks did in this game, but um, that was a good – it was a good shot shot profile. It was not perfect. It wasn't, you know, especially in the second half, it wasn't, like, exactly what you would draw up, but it was much, much more in line with what you would want. Um, also, it's more of a fun fact than anything else, but only the third time in the shot clock era, which is a long, long time, you know, talk about decades of data here, that both teams – in an NBA game, attempted double-digit free throws and did not miss. Both teams were combined to shoot 45 of 45. That is the uh, most ever in a game in which neither team missed a free throw. So a little bit of NBA history there with the Hawks doing most of that damage with 29, but even Washington was 16 of 16. Um, ironically, like even Clint Capella was 2 of 2 in this game. He's really the only bad free throw shooter the Hawks have, but he ended up making both of his. Montrez Harrell was 7 of 7 for Washington as their backup center. So all kinds of... Uh, Weirdness there, and just more of a fun fact, but still a nice little thing to add in. And then defensively, I mentioned this before, the defense I thought was just like, you know, below average, not terrible. But the Wizards ended up scoring about 1.16 points per possession, which is a lot more than you would want. Washington's pretty good offensively. That's worth noting for sure. They, they did lose Davis Bertans early in this game to an injury, but Montrezl Harrell's a good offensive player. Beal, obviously, is their leader on that end of the floor. You have Dinwiddie, you have Kuzma. They have guys who can score, no question about that. This is not a bad offensive team. But at home, allowing them to score almost a 1.2 points per possession clip is not particularly good defense. Um, the Wizards did make a bunch of shots, that's for sure, but they got to be better on them on the floor. McMillan said that they were more connected in his mind. I would agree with that, but I think in general they have some stuff to, to shore up defensively. They're never going to be fantastic, I don't think, in terms of their overall profile. They have a lot of talent on them on the floor, but you still have guys like Trey, like Gallo, who can be attacked. But I think the defense, defensively they have a long way to go still. The offense kind of made the boost from Saturday. The defense didn't really do too much better than, than they have in previous games. But as long as you have an elite performance on one of the floor, you're in good shape. And the offense was basically elite in this contest. Uh, last thing, we'll get to the players. Uh, only 10 guys appeared in this game. No garbage time this time around. So uh, no Solomon Hill, no Jalen Johnson, Sharif. TLC and, and, and Skylar Mays, as, as well as Kevin Herter, who was inactive. Um, Gorgie Jang, two points, five rebounds, two block shots. I don't think he was great in this game. Um, defensively, he made some plays. He tried, he tried to take a charge. It was kind of not what you want to see him do. Uh, we want to see him sort of wall up, but did have two block shots in 10 minutes. Can't be too mad about that. I thought DeLon, DeLon Wright was actually pretty good individually. 2.3 assists and a steal. Had a nice drive to the rim, but they were bad with him on the floor. He was minus 12, same with Lou. I thought Lou was pretty bad, actually. Two away from the floor, 0 of 3 from 3. And at at the moment with Lou, if he's going to shoot 2 of 8 and 0 of 3, he's not really playable. And obviously you don't know that, but given what he doesn't give you in other ways, he's got to shoot well to be to be effective uh, for the most part, and he really wasn't in this game. Also no assists from Lou, so bad shooting, no assists, bad defense, bad combination there for Lou. He's due, he's he's okay to have one of those games, but no panic, just what it is. Uh, Gallinari only played 17 minutes, which is noteworthy to me. Um, 12 points. Actually, it was a season high for him, and a small sample size. He's not played a ton this year. It took 10 shots. It was definitely not shy about getting him up. Hit four threes, four of seven from three. Um, over three on twos, actually, with five rebounds. He was okay, but defensively, it was not great for Gallo. And then I thought Cam Reddish was pretty good in this game. 15 points, four rebounds, two assists, two steals for Cam. Four ten from the floor isn't like incredible, but three of six from three is good to see. Four four from the free throw line. He was attacking. Um, only a couple of questionable shots. I think defensively made some, made a bunch of plays. Had the two steals. Was active. I thought he played a very nice game overall. Uh, to the starters, the quietest starter was probably De- DeAndre Hunter, who had eleven points. Did have two steals, two rebounds. 5'11 from the floor. He's not quite settled in just yet. You know, Hunter had the awesome start last year offensively and kind of blew everybody away. 
He's not quite been that guy this year. A lot of long twos, a lot of, uh, I think, settling some tough ones. Even when some of the ones that he made in this game were not the most high-percentage shots. And he had some foul trouble, too. I thought he was okay overall. Defensively made a nice impact at times, but um, just a middling game, I would say, for Hunter. Um, from there, everybody else was pretty good. Capella, 16 points, 12 rebounds, 2 blocks, a steal, 33 minutes. Um, you know, he didn't play down the stretch, but I thought he, it was his best game in a while overall. Capella has not had the best start to the season by his lofty standard, but I think that Clint is uh, putting it seems to be putting it together. And as I was reminded last year, sorry, last week, Capella had a slow start last year. He was not quite himself until like game 10 or something like that. That's more of a guess for me, but it was certainly a slow start. And I wonder if he just takes a little while to round in the form because last year, once he, hit his, once he hit the ground running, he was awesome. And maybe that will happen in the near future for the Hawks. Um, Trey Young was good in this game, even by his lofty standards, 26 points, six assists, four rebounds, plus 19 when the Hawks had Bogey and Trey on the floor together, they dominated this game. Um, Trey got to the line 11 times, um, right in the face of the narrative that he can't get to the line anymore, which is already kind of silly. But um, with 6 of 10 on twos, only shot 1 of 6 on threes, but the one that he made was a deep one on a catch and shoot. Um, and to be this productive and efficient without the three-point shot is encouraging for Trey. But I think I like the shot profile in this game. Only, only, I think only took one or two of the uh, more shaky long twos. They have six turnovers, which is probably more than you would want. But I thought he was pretty good in this game, was at least active. Uh, Bogey, I thought was very, very, very solid. Not incredible numbers, 16 points, um, in terms of, you know, he's obviously averaged a lot more than that down the stretch last year, but, um, four six on threes, 34 minutes, six assists, six rebounds. He was operating in terms, in terms of the secondary creation. He did a really nice job with the ball in his hands as a passer in this game. I thought he was much more plugged in, dialed in, um, aggressive in terms of hunting his own shot and hunting, hunting other shots. I thought it was just a very nice, complete game for Bogdanovich overall, and good to see him sort of coming on. I was never worried, but, you know, obviously you want to see some, some productivity, and he was very good. And then I saved John Collins for last, which might sound strange. You know, Collins only had 12 points in this game. But if you watched, I think he was your best player. Uh, 12 points, 9 rebounds, a career-high 6 assists, had a block shot, only took 7 shots, got the line 6 times. Um, just, you know, 12-9-6, not like a blow-you-away numbers, but I think Collins has been awesome this season overall. He was not his best on Saturday by any means, but in terms of the other, you know, the other six games, he's been very, very good. And I think he was just a general menace in this game. Offensively, doing the right stuff at the right times. He was managed to be efficient despite not shooting the ball great from the floor. Rebounding, his passing really played up. Again, a career high assist rate right now for John Collins by a pretty comfortable margin. That's a playmaking um, spot that we've talked about a lot as an area of improvement for John. He's been Notably better there, which is really encouraging. And then defensively, making the plays, you know, kind of, he had a great he had a great block on Gafford. Um, help side help side responsibilities, just kind of doing all the little things for Collins. And you know he's come a long way in a lot of different fact, uh, factors. But I think he played great in this game, despite the uh, quiet numbers overall. All right, from there we will look ahead briefly, and then we'll get out of here. The Hawks have a back to back that is very very challenging on Wednesday and Thursday. On Wednesday, I have to go to Brooklyn and play the Nets. The Nets, obviously, are not quite at the firing all, at all cylinders point that they were last year when their offense was essentially unguardable. Um, but without even without Kyrie, they are uh, very potent. They won their last game last night by 26 over the Pistons. Um, I think Brooklyn had the night off tonight. Yeah, they did. Uh, they actually have, a, have two days of rest before they play the Hawks, so probably advantage to the, to the Nets there after as well as playing at home. Uh, I'm sure they'll be favoring that game if everybody's healthy. And then, after a tough game, um, the Hawks have to come back home and play the Jazz. Uh, and the Jazz are very good, as everyone probably knows at this point in time. So, uh, the Hawks can win these games. 
very clearly. They're capable of beating anybody on any night in the NBA. That's something that has changed a lot, obviously, in the in this uptick of the Hawks in the last year or so. But you know, this is a schedule that I've talked about a lot. But these two these two games will set the tone, and then from there they have to go to the West Coast for the weekend and into next week. So. Uh, a couple of nice measuring sticks. The Jazz are five and one right now, as I'm, as I'm recording this, with a great with a great point, point differential. The Nets have been more human, but even then, they're still four and three and really good on offense. So, interesting stuff coming coming down the pike. But uh, that'll be a lot of fun to cover those two games in back to back fashion. Um, as for this podcast, please subscribe to the show. Please tell your friends about the podcast as well. Check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, as well as following us on Twitter at Locked on Hawks. Follow me on Twitter at BT Roland. I will probably have a podcast tomorrow night. I don't know if I'm going to have a mailbag or a guest or anything like that. Maybe I'll have some new stuff. We'll see. But uh, the best way to find the podcast always is to subscribe to the show. I'll tweet it out and all that stuff, but the best place to get it is to be subscribed. It will drop into your box and then you will have it when it arrives. So thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next time.